that certainly was something that, you know, that, that speaks to my love of just trails. And it doesn't even need to be like the Appalachian Trail, which was, yeah, obviously that was an amazing experience. And that I worked for KT for a couple of years, took a summer off, hiked the AT and came right back. And, and, and here I am still. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. If you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, take a spin through our library and check out some of our previous episodes which features some great people within the mountain biking and trails community. For episode 61, we are featuring CJ Scott, the trail director of the Kingdom Trails located in East Burke, Vermont. Kingdom Trails has been one of the most prolific trail communities for a couple decades now. CJ dives into an unlikely story about how he turned an internship with Kingdom Trails into a full-time career spanning two decades now. While this show mainly features on mountain biking and trails, you will learn that CJ is truly a holistic trail user from hiking the entire Appalachian Trail to scouting for game. CJ really enjoys trails. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Salsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. If you like this podcast, tell a friend or a bunch of friends about the show. Also, please subscribe wherever you consume your podcasts. This will ensure that you always get the latest Trail Effect episodes, and it will help the podcast gain more traction especially after relaunching on this new feed. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Today I have on Trail Effect, CJ Scott. CJ Scott is the trails director at Kingdom Trails in Eastbrook, Vermont. How's it going today, CJ? Uh, it's great. It's uh, good to be here, Josh. Yeah. So let's go into your backstory and kind of how you landed in KT to begin with and took on this role, which has really became your full-time career for probably the better part of two decades now, correct? It is. Yeah. This this past um, summer mountain bike season tw- of uh, 2021 was my 20th year here at KT. And yeah, I moved to Vermont. Uh, in 97 to attend Linden State College, which is the local college here now, now known as Northern Vermont University, uh, to get a degree in adventure-based programming and rec resource management, uh, and then needed to get an internship. And just, uh, you know, one thing led to another. I, I actually ended up breaking my arm and uh, snowboarding up on the mountain and couldn't, couldn't do the internship that I had lined up to River Guide up in Alaska and then met my now wife and wanted to stay in the area and um, stumbled upon Kingdom Trails, you know, looking for an intern. And I mean, the rest is history from there. So came in as an, in as an intern in 2002 um, and uh, yeah, worked, worked my way up through the ranks, you know, both uh, seasonally, uh, working spring, summer, fall. Um, then in the fall, transitioned over to trail crew on the mountain, getting ready, you know, getting the ski glades and the, the trails ready for the winter, uh, ski patrolling in the wintertime, 
And then eventually, as KT grew, um, you know, more staffing was needed. We started to step up into the grooming game for Nordic skiing and, and then eventually fat biking. And um, so a, a role was was created to have me be on year round. And, and uh, so now here we are. Let's get into the early days, or at least your, your early days with KT and, and how, the, how the trail building and especially the partnerships with the private landowners, because that's really, truly what the secret sauce is in K- right. Kingdom Trails. Let's dig into the early days about, you know, what trail building was like then and how it's kind of evolved to where you are now. Yeah. I mean, early days, gosh. Uh, I mean, there was, obviously there was no welcome center. There was, you know, I don't think there was, there was no swag. We didn't have, when I first came in was the first year that, uh, you know, day memberships were required. They were dirt cheap. I mean, it was like five bucks a day to, to, to get a pass to go ride. Now they're known as memberships. You know, maps were still pretty new. Uh, you know, a busy day in the Eastburg Sports parking lot was, you know, 50 cars. And there, there was no trail crew. I mean, it was myself, uh, John Worth, who owns Eastburg Sports. You know, and then a handful of, of you know, small volunteers uh, going out and doing, doing the trail work. And I was just along for the ride at that time. I, you know, I didn't really have any trail building experience prior to that. Mountain biking wasn't necessarily new to me. I, I grew up in Maine, you know, mountain biking power lines and, you know, scrubby trails around the part of the southern part of the state. And so we didn't, you know, like I said, KT didn't own any tools. We didn't have a, a shop that I'm in now. We used to store you know, the, the super small assortment of tools, like a couple Pulaski's, a couple McLeod's. We used John Worth's personal chainsaw. We would grab, you know, he would, he would come across, you know, scrap lumber from some local builders and stuff to go out and build simple, you know, log bridges with, with random pieces of, of whatever it was for lumber to, to deck it with. And it was really pretty remarkable to, you know, see what the trail crew was then. And, and where we are now, I mean, now, now I employ, you know, a crew of eight to 10 folks on trail crew and we go out and we do everything from obviously new trail construction to maintenance. You know, we do some contracting out, whereas back in the day it was, you know, John Worth, he would go out and he did all the, all the scouting, um, all the flagging, you know, secured all the permissions. He, you know, was a longtime resident still and, and obviously was then and, so he was known and had those connections already made and just really started to kind of build it out from there. And, uh, you know, those were some, those are some fun times in, in retrospect, just thinking about, you know, how, how small of a, you know, of, of a, of a trail building community it was. And there was just no, I mean, there was a science to building trails back then, but it wasn't, it was still so, so new. And now it's definitely a, it's a, there's a, a, a lot of, skill and science behind it now. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly come a long way here for where the true trail crew was to where it is now. And as I previously mentioned, a lot of the secret sauce that you have going on there is with the private landowners. You know, how has that relationship kind of evolved in terms of, I'm assuming you have a hundred and I think you have 104 landowners now or something right around that number. Yep. I'm assuming it didn't start with 104. No, 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 no. Um, you know, honestly, I don't know what the number was when I first started 20 plus years ago. Um, I know like when we hit the number 55, that was a big deal. And we had, you know, special stickers made up with the crown with the 55 in the middle there. 
So I, I, maybe when I came in, we were, you know, mid forties pushing 50, you know, and that was what made the network go. I mean, that they are the, like you said, the secret sauce without them, we wouldn't have this. And that's, you know, when people reach out asking like, how do we recreate this model? How do we, how do we make a King of Trails in our, in our town? You know, and in short of having, you know, hundreds of acres owned by, you know, one person or, or whatever it might be to, <laughs> to try and have, you know, now 104 contiguous landowners who, who open their land for non-motorized use. Well, and even some for motorized because we do share some corridors with, with the Vermont Association of Snow Travelers, the vast trails. So yeah, it, it's, it's a hard thing to recreate because I mean, not everyone, people like their privacy and it still amazes me 20 years later that there are landowners who were, they're more than willing. And so that's really, that's really pretty special. And, and certainly it's a relationship that you gotta, you gotta nurture and respect. And that's something that, uh, you know, we, we learned the hard way up until recently. We, we, we thought we were doing it right and, um, we were and, just you know, a couple of swings and misses, and but we're back on track, and it's it's pretty beautiful, really, where where we are now. Yeah, and you know, yesterday I got the new Freehub magazine in the mail, and you know, typically I take a little bit of time to read through that stuff, and it's a it's a photo book, actually. Right. What grabbed my attention more than anything, it wasn't the photos; it was it was all the articles, and the one common theme throughout those articles was just kind of the the partnerships and stuff that's created in Vermont as a whole state, it seems like it resonates through the entire state when you read those articles, that there's just a, a willingness to be open and work with their neighbors and, and really share in what, you know, the fruits of all that could be. No, for sure. I mean, that's, um, like I said, that's what people want to recreate this. Um, and I think, you know, landowners are seeing, obviously, the, the benefits, not only do they want to use the trails themselves, but they're seeing what it's doing for the communities, what it's doing for the for the youths in the area and providing, you know, an avenue to, to get outside and enjoy trails, no matter what you're doing, whether you're walking your dog or riding your bike or, you know, cruising on your snow machine or, or whatever. Um, yeah. Trails have that impact. And, you know, I think some landowners, they get it. They, they want trails, but some want them only here and some want them only over there. And some don't mind if they go right by their garden, you know? So there's a balance there for sure of, of what, uh, what certain landowners want and things just got to just respect how they want their lands to be managed. And, and, but you can work with them very easily as long as you're, you're open and willing to listen. Yeah. And staying on the topic of trails, I actually didn't have this topic sent to you, but I'm sure you can talk to talk about it pretty openly and pretty easily. For those that have never been to kingdom trails, what would you describe the trail experience as far as what types of different trails you have there? And I know one of the big things that sticks out to me and, and I've not been there yet. And I say yet because I, it's on my, the shortest of short lists for places to visit for me. And one thing I've always read and heard about when talking to the people is their soil. Yes. Yeah, no, I mean, that is. And how it's free of rocks. It is. Um, I mean, you know, I tell a lot of the guys on my crew, especially a lot of the younger guys that, you know, we are, we are pretty spoiled as trail builders building. Um, you know, in particular up on Darling Hill, which is where, you know, that's where, where it all started. That's where a majority of the, the network is, is made up on. But, you know, the soils up there, they're not only great to ride on, but they're great to, great to work with. You know, you really do have glory dirt conditions up there. You're not fighting 
you know, rocks and having to use rock bars to, you know, move things. I mean, you do every once in a while, there, there will be some, some showstoppers out there, but overall the soil is great. It drains really well. There's just <laughs> something that we really lucked out with and that, that made it so that we could, you know, keep our trails open, you know, a little bit longer, a little bit more often after, after rains, the soils, they do vary throughout the network, you know, lower mountain soils are a little different than up on Darling Hill and um, the soils over in like the Moosehaven network are a little bit different than they are like in the White School or Darling Hill network. But overall, the, um, you know, what we have to work with is really pretty magical because I've ridden, you know, enough places to see the, see the trails, see the soils and understand the struggles that probably went into building a lot of those trails based on you know, the amount of rock and just difficult terrain to, to get a trail in. So my guys will be, you know, sweating it out in the woods and, and thinking this is, you know, some of the hardest work going, which it is. No, I don't want to discount that it's, you know, easy. No matter what kind of soils you're in, it's definitely, you know, long, tough days when it's 90 and humid and bugs everywhere. But to not have to fight a lot of roots and rocks and everything and just have beautiful soil to work with is, it is really nice. And that's, that's what creates, that's, that's our strong point. So that's, we, we build our trails based on what we have to work with out there. And that's great soil to allow us to really shape and build smooth, flowy trails. But like any trail, you know, they evolve over time. A trail that you, whether it's mechanized or hand built, you build it, it's smooth, it's buff, it's flowy. The thing is, is, you know, is mint. But over time, I mean, they, you know, a bunch of tires going down it and, you know, a, a wet, wet summer and every trail needs maintenance and upkeep. And that's the balancing act is, is finding, you know, the amount of maintenance versus new trail building. You know, the design of a trail obviously goes a long way on, on its sustainability. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, one of those things that every year trying to build out new and maintain the old and, I mean, this past summer in particular, you know, a lot of guys really enjoyed taking the time and going out and, and, and fine tuning a lot of the, you know, the old favorites out there and, and breathing some of those back into life. And, and in turn, the, you know, the folks, you know, riding the trails were, were stoked to see a lot of that work going on out there and reshaping, you know, off camber turns and benches and, you know, little secret, you know, ninja lines and hits here and there and everything. And, you know, a trail that was, was flowy. And, you know, got a little clapped out and while it's still fun and everything, going out and fine tuning it and kind of smoothing things out a little bit, people were, people were digging that. And then to go back on the, you know, balancing this fine line of, you know, maintenance and keeping a trail sustainable, there's that, you know, in between of, well, where, you know, you're, you're improving this trail and you're improving some drainage and you're taking a trail that was, you know, at one point brand new, super smooth. And then, you know, as, you know, riders went over it and time went by, more roots popped up, the soils got displaced, and now you've got a, a super rooty trail. And where is that balance of, well, that's what I like as a trail now, but that's not what the trail was. And so where is the over you know, over sanitizing a trail versus bringing it back to not only where it was, but keeping it sustainable. And so... That's, you know, that's one of the struggles, um, you know, and, and where we've got to just make sure that we're not out there, you know, chopping every route and making every trail so smooth that it's this brown paved, you know, sidewalk now. 
you got to realize that people want those challenges and that's totally understandable. But then you also have to remember that if a trail is, you know, is so, so impacted where there's braids going left and right, people going around this tree, around that route and one, a trail that used to just be, you know, one little six inch ribbon of trail through a corridor in the woods now has all these beelines and people going this way and that way, you know, you have to try and, you know, find, okay, what line seems to be the most popular? What do people want to ride? And try and try and funnel them down to that one line and not create this big braided mess. And again, going back to the landowners, we're, we're using somebody else's land. So we want to make sure that we're, we're maintaining that properly and not, not, not stretching the, the, the trail every which way on, on, the, on that corridor. Yeah. And that's a topic that I've, as a crew leader here in my own community that I've struggled with, because, you know, we'll go out and do exactly what you're talking about. We'll take, you know, routes out that need to be taken out, especially smaller nuisance routes. And then, you know, maybe a couple of days after we do trail work, somebody will complain that we turned it into a freeway or whatever, or took all the hard stuff out. And, and I've explained to people, it's like, look, when we built this trail, we didn't dig down and expose these roots. They weren't there. It just, yep. it happened over time. <laughs> no. And, 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 you know, that's, that's where I'm going back to, you know, what I mentioned earlier is like, you know, we, we build the trails to our strengths and that's, you know, our trails are, are buff and flowy because we have those, we have those qualities in the soil to allow for that style of trail building. And so, yeah, like that trail, when it was built 20 years ago, it, it didn't have all these off camber roots and all these, you know, bombed out holes that are now holding water. And that's just what it is. That's what it is now. And that's what a lot of people are used to because they weren't riding that trail 20 years ago or 10 years ago, even some trails get, you know, uh, beat up pretty darn quick. So you're not going to, I mean, you're not going to make everybody happy out there. I mean, you could go out and think that you're doing everything well and you're going to hear it from people. And that's just, you got to have some, you know, thick skin and and know, know that you're doing is, is the right thing. And, Building trails is certainly not going to be the same for everybody as far as what you're what you're looking to do. So you got that's where you know it's just a balancing act out there. Yeah, let's go into the staff side of things. At what point did you guys determine that bringing on extra staff to supplement what you were doing was going to be beneficial not only for the the organization itself but also for the community to help offset maintenance and stuff? And I guess we have I've never actually gone into what level of volunteering there is in, in Kingdom Trails as well? And how does that kind of blend together? Right. Yeah. I mean, well, like I mentioned, when I started, you know, it was myself and John Worth and, you know, a, a few volunteers. And it was the, if I'm not mistaken, the, the third Sunday of every month, like May through October was, was a volunteer work day. And that's where we, you know, recruited a lot of, a lot of labor to get some, some trails done. And then as KT grew and staffing grew and, you know, we went from a trail, a paid trail crew of, you know, two, three, four, five, you know, all the way up into, you know, I think we've had as many as 10, you know, those volunteer work days kind of started to kind of peter out as far as the amount of people that were showing up to them. You know, you'd, you'd set up this project, you'd get in on Sunday morning, you'd get to the trailhead and you'd have three people for what you're hoping to really knock out some some work. And so I don't know, you know, how the attendance of that waned. I don't know if people started to see, well, they've got a paid trail crew now and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're buying memberships to help subsidize trail maintenance efforts and, and, and build out. 
you know, that kind of, like I said, that, that the attendance of those waned and we kind of got away from holding those monthly trail work days. Uh, and so that wasn't until a couple of years ago now that we, we really tried to instill, um, you know, a little bit stronger sense of, of ownership and participation to, to anybody who wants to lend a hand. Cause I think that helps bring, you know, a little bit more connection to the trail itself. And, and that really helped, you know, breed a little bit more sense of the, like the ride with gratitude campaign and showed everybody not only like the efforts that it takes to build and maintain these trails, but that, you know, these, these are your trails. We're, we're, we're doing this as a community and bringing people in. I think over the past couple of years has really helped ramp up the level of respect that everybody has, not only on how to use the trails, but how to interact within the community and understand, you know, private land and, you know, the challenges that are associated with that and all the benefits that are associated with that. And so we, we've really ramped up those volunteer work days and it's, it's been really actually been really cool the past couple of years to see that a lot more kids volunteering out there, which has been awesome. And I got two young girls. I haven't brought them on any volunteer work days, but I have brought them out with me on just a normal work day. And so it's really cool just to see them out there, you know, families with kids, landowners showing up for these volunteer work days and everything. You know, as we started to see less turnout for volunteer work, you know, it was like the same time that we were really starting to build out some pretty major events. And that's where we relied on a lot of volunteer help, you know, to help out with NembaFest, help out with um, Circumberk, help out with Winter Bike, you know, and those, gosh, I mean, those, that, those events required hundreds of volunteers on some of those, you know, especially Circumberk and, and, uh, and NembaFest. So, yeah, the, the whole history of KT volunteering kind of, you know, had some ebbs and flows, but now it's, you know, it's, it's, it's back and uh, more alive than it's been in, in years. And it's actually been pretty rewarding to, you know, give those opportunities to not only the locals, but people who are here in the area visiting and want to lend a hand. And like I said, it's really, it's really helping reestablish a, a, a strong sense of, of, of connection to the trails. Yeah. And, and one could imagine there's only so many volunteers you can recruit from your community because your community is not huge. Well, correct. Yeah. I mean, you, you, we do see a lot of the, you know, a lot of the same faces every year, you know, the past couple of years that we've been, you know, ramping the volunteer work days back up, you know, obviously due to COVID and that whole time in our lives, we were, you know, capping the amount of people that could show up to them, um, which actually ended up kind of working out well. Um, and I think it's something that we'll probably continue to do just so we have an idea of who's showing up to these projects and we're not all of a sudden we have a project that only needs 10 people and we got 50 showing up. And while many hands make light work, you know, I don't want a project to be done in 10 minutes, you know, like we're, <laughs> we're there for three, four or five hours on, on a, you know, now we do them on Saturdays. Yeah. You know, so now I know, okay, we're going to cap it at, you know, 20, maybe 30 people. I'll know that I won't have any more than that. And generally not very many less than that, depending on, you know, obviously the weather and I can, not only do I know how many people were there will be there, but now I can kind of forecast out what those projects will be and make sure that the amount of work is suitable for, you know, upwards of 20, 30 people. But yeah, to go back on your question, yeah, it is a lot of the, a lot of the same faces, which is great because volunteer work does require, you know, a fair amount of oversight. Like I don't want to be out there doing the work for them. I'll kind of anybody who's new, show them the, show them the objective. Show them like what we're looking to get done, how to get it done. And then 
let them run with it. Let them swing those tools. I mean, that's why they're there. I don't want to be there and doing the work for them. So for the most part, everyone that's showing up now and has been the past couple of years, they, they kind of know what to expect and can really hit the ground running. So yeah, managing volunteers can be a challenge, but, but like I said, super rewarding when you, when you've got, you know, a lot of familiar faces and community members. And like I said, local youths who are out there making a charge of it. Yeah. It's always been, a, it's, you know, we have the same struggles here where, you know, you, you have a volunteer work night and all of a sudden you got 50 people staring at you and only so many crew leaders to, to guide those people, especially people that are relatively new. Right. It's definitely a balance just like everything. It is. And, and, you know, speaking of balance, like it, we try and balance our, our volunteer work projects out. So it's not always just, um, you know, hauling brush off of a new corridor that we got cut or, you know, stumping out, you know, all the trees that we want out of the trail. So we try and make a blend of everything, which people, you know, we're, we're glad to see because they could kind of see the, the full spectrum of what it takes to build and maintain a trail system. So, you know, people obviously are always really jazzed to come and participate in a, uh, you know, like a new trail build. If we're like, oh yeah, come help us build, build, uh, you know, Martha's Pines, which, um, you know, what was like an a, a trail we did last year, which was like an adaptation of one of our old trails, um, Pines, which got closed and we were able to, you know, reroute and reinstall, um, a trail fairly similar to what the old Pines trail was. And so those, those new trails really, um, get people all, all jacked up, but there's only, you know, there's only so much you can do on a new trail build, especially if it's like a fairly like hand-built trail that looks almost like it's mechanized. You know, I mean, like you said, if you have a whole bunch of people out there and only a couple of crew leaders who can kind of show people the ropes, um, you spread out 50 people and all of a sudden you get to a section of trail and you're like, oh my God, what are you, what are you doing right here? <laughs> this isn't quite what the uh, objective of this <laughs> section of trail is. And so... Again, that's why I, I enjoy capping the numbers and then spreading out the amount of work that we're looking to do as far as the projects go. Like we'll do everything from we're going to go and walk this section of trail here and just do a little bit of just general maintenance. Everything from, you know, clearing water bars and culverts to clipping back sight lines on, on corners, you know, yeah, reshaping benches, um, smoothing out brake bumps on berms, just giving the trail just some general love. And then another, another good project is just hauling in material to fill in, fill in wet spots, fill out holes that are holding water that you can't drain them anywhere because it's high on both sides of the trail, whether it's, it's not a really glorified job hauling in five gallon buckets of material or going and digging holes and filling buckets and fill, you know, filling in areas on the trail. But like I said, it, it shows people the array of, of what it takes to, to build and maintain the trails and, you know, it gives them a little sense of, while it's, they're fun to ride, there's a lot of work that goes into them to, to build and maintain. Yeah. Let's circle back on staff. Staff is one of those things. It's the volunteer model, obviously, is super important because it gets that community engagement and that community ownership. But again, they're volunteers. And as most volunteers, we have full-time jobs. But when you introduce that aspect of staff, now you have people continuing to work on your trails while the rest of us are working our real jobs. How's that helped? really kind of kick things into gear to get more production done in terms of whether it's maintenance or, or building, you know, just the stuff that really goes into all of it. Yeah. I mean, it's 
obviously it's a, it was a, a huge step in being able to just stay on top of expanding our network and, and growing the miles of trails to accept all the new riders and spread people out and fix a lot of the old stuff. Because um, to rely on volunteers to do all that, you're, you're going to get behind the eight ball pretty quick. And so having, having staff to be able to handle a lot of that five days a week, you know, Monday through Friday, gosh, I mean, it was, it was a huge lift when the size of the trail crew started to grow, especially as they returned, you know, every summer their skill sets grew, they could hit the ground running a little bit more. Obviously, training new staff members can be a challenge when it's, you know, no matter what the job is, training anybody new, there's a little bit of a learning curve there. You know, this this year, we'll, we have 100% return rate from last year's crew, which is awesome because we can, like I said, hit the ground running and guys know what to expect and know the trails more and just have a better understanding of, of what it takes to get out there and do the work. You know, because not everybody that comes in on the trail crew, you know, we try and uh, employ folks on the trail crew who have a background in some sort of trail use, uh, you know, whether they, they like to ride or, you know, trail, you know, trail run or whatever it might be. I think having that, you know, having that passion of, of building trails and riding the trails goes a long way in the end product as opposed to just hiring you know, local high school or college kids just to get a job and they go out there and they sling a tool around and move some dirt and get it done and punch out at the end of the day. And that's their job. When, when you have somebody who was like stoked to go out there, get the work done, take the time to put in these little details on the trails. Cause they know that, you know, when I punch out at four o'clock, I'm going to go out on the trails and, and ride this section of trail that I rode that I, that I built earlier. So having a, a good close knit group of, of of trail builders on the crew. We all get along, you know. Joke out on the trails. You know, I live vicariously through a lot of those guys. They're all in their, you know, late teens, early twenties. Don't have a whole lot of cares in the world. And here I am, a forty, whatever it is, three year old guy with a family, and <laughs> so I can I can kind of laugh at a lot of their antics and you know goofiness and everything. And it's it's it brings me back to. You know, some of the earlier questions that you gave me about as far as what it was like early on the trail crew. And I was those guys at one point, just a, a goofball out on the trails, just, you know, slinging dirt around. And so the past couple of years, I've really tried to instill a lot of, you know, like I said, camaraderie and just everyone on the trail has a voice. Um, you know, everyone's involved in the in the process of, you know, maybe not the initial flagging and scouting. That's, you know, still something that I, I do, but as soon as I get into an area, I get an idea of where the corridor is going to go, what the what the trail is going to be laid out like, um, hang some flags. Then I'll start to bring in guys on the crew and show them kind of roughly what I'm thinking, bounce some ideas off of them, get them in part of the process to be like, oh well, you know, what about what about this here? And because they'll see things that I you know either missed or you know just wasn't thinking about, and and then we'll go in, we'll cut the corridor, and then bring in more folks from the crew and. That's when everyone can kind of have a little bit of a little bit more, you know, hands on, and um, it's not just like the trail is going to go right here, and this is where I want it. It's it's um, you give those trail builders the the ability to have a little bit more, um, you know, say and and have their artistic style kind of expressed through building a trail. You're just going to get more more happy workers and people who feel as though they're valued and have a sense of place on the crew and. You know, hot days, we'll sneak out a little early at the end of the day and go grab an ice cream or, 
Um, once a week, we try and do a full crew ride and at least once in the summer, go and ride somewhere else as a crew. And that's come a long way to building not only trails, but just building a really strong team. That's something that I speak of often at KT is we've got a really great team from top to bottom. And, uh, you know, the trail crew is no exception. We've had, I've had a lot of crew members come and go over my time. Last year was one of the best crews I've ever had the privilege of working with. And that's just because we, you know, myself and a couple of my other senior guys on the trail crew really wanted to just really instill a sense of team and, and everyone has a voice and everyone, everyone gets to have, have their say out there. It's, and it, it shined through a hundred percent last summer. Yeah. And it sounds like they're all coming back. Yeah, they are. You know, I mean, certainly, uh, the culture that we instilled went a long way. Um, you know, hourly pay goes a long way. And, uh, yeah, to have everyone come back is, uh, is a great feeling. Um, you know, especially in this day and age in the job market and everything, people are always looking for more money and, and having, uh, having them come back was, was a pretty, pretty great thing to hear when I reached out to them and slowly got responses trickling back in saying, yep, I'm coming back. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked for this, this coming summer. Let's go into some of the things you've learned over the last 20 years of, of being the trails director, you know, whether that it could be something you've learned as far as like new things you've started to implement as trail designs and trail building has evolved for you, or maybe it's wayfinding and signage. Like what's some stuff that you have learned and you've picked up over your career. And I know a lot of people would say, I've probably forgotten more than I've learned <laughs> or, yeah. you know, or however that saying goes, you know, but I mean, we all, you know, pick up on things and we all, it's kind of going to lead into the question after that, which is like learning through failure. Right. 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 I mean, that's funny. Yeah. Cause I mean, I've been thinking about that question I, mean, I think I can tie it all in with what, a lot of what we've already spoken about here. And like, you know, we, we, we've got these great soils and we went from the trails being closed to the trails being open and we've got the soils that can handle that. And let's just go out there and build, keep building trails, keep using the soils to our advantage. But those areas that, you know, might not have the best drainage or whatever, we're going to, we're going to build bridges. We're going to harden these areas. We're going to make this system bomb proof so that no matter how much water we get, how much visitation we get, these trails can be sustainable. And so in the course of a summer, gosh, how long ago was that? I mean, it was probably well over 10 years ago, 10 and let's call it 13 years ago or so. Uh, you know, we spent an entire summer just building bridges, you know, long and short bridges didn't matter. Like if, you know, we would maybe do some hardening and bring in some buckets and go dig some borrow pits and, you know, throw some dirt here and there. But we just did an all out assault on building bridges throughout the network. We had bridges before, but they were just, like I said, little log bridges here and there with some random pieces of decking. So when we turned the dial to stay open, no matter how wet it was, we, um, you know, we were a little bit more off, we had a little bit more money. We had a trail crew then. So we could afford to, you know, go and, and buy all this lumber. And the easiest thing to do was go to the hardware store, buy your lumber, haul it out onto the trail and, and build these bridges. And, you know, we've got like one trail in particular, Burnham Down, that has, you know, over a couple thousand feet of bridging on it. And it looked amazing. You're like, oh my God. I mean, I can remember that summer. It was a, still a pretty small crew then. I think it was only four of us, but we're just like cranking out all these bridges. And they, man, they, you know, looked beautiful, brand new. You know, pressure treated bridges out in the woods, 
not just going straight, you know, having some cool turns to them, going in between trees, up and over things, just adding some really cool characteristic to these bridges. And people were digging it. They were loving it. Like, oh my God, you know, a section of trail that was, you know, blown out and, and rooty and, and just was a, a, not a fun trail. Now I can get A to B through this section of, of woods and, and, and keep on riding. And it wasn't until, you know, a few years go by that not only do the, <laughs> you've now built out this massive infrastructure of, of man-made elements, you know, out of wood and, and you know, T25 decking screws. That's a whole nother level of maintenance because now you've got bridges that are, they're going to fail. Some bridges that are like bound to fail within the next rider, but you just, you visually can't see it. You know, I mean, sometimes obviously a bridge all of a sudden just like, you know, wah, it's turned to the side and it's all off camber and a, it's, it's busted. It's obvious, but some are a little bit less obvious. And so not only do you have to go out there and, you know, do a bridge inventory check at the start of each season and, and just always keep an eye on those bridges, but then, the pressure treated decking gets that little film on the top um, so that any turn or any little bit of off camberness that, you know, obviously wet, slimy pressure treated with wet rubber tires is going to lead to a lot of slipping and sliding on those bridges. And then there are sections of bridges where you can see that were obvious problem spots because you can see where, you know, the cassette of every single bike that went down that trail was sliding off and it looked like a beaver was trying to chew on the damn thing, you know? So, you know, we didn't, we didn't forecast that out. We were like, we're just going to, we're going to build bridges. We're going to harden these trails. We're going to make it so they can be ridden no matter how wet they are. Again, just not knowing what, what that decking was going to turn out to be like. And so we kind of learned from that and, and now we're starting to slowly transition away from you know, we don't we try and avoid using pressure treated. You know, if, if I have a bridge that, that is built as pressure treated and it just needs like one new piece of decking, yeah, I'll go replace it with another piece of pressure treated. Any new bridges from here on out, it's all built with, you know, rough cut, rough cut, either hemlock or preferably cedar. It's a little bit lighter because that just, it has a little bit more grip to it. Might not last quite as long. But it's a little bit easier. It's, it's locally sourced. I mean, we've got a handful of, you know, lumber mills here in the, here in the community. So we, we're not only, you know, keeping money within the community, but we're keeping somebody, you know, busy building out, you know, hundreds of feet of bridging force. So that was, you know, maybe it wasn't a failure because those bridges are still there and we're still maintaining them, but it just certainly created a lot more maintenance that maybe we just hadn't really thought about. And it was the quickest way to do it too. You know, I mean, we didn't have a huge crew to go out and, and harden, you know, hundreds of, feet of of trail or or the terrain wasn't such where we could just reroute it well it's drier this way or it's drier that way it's like no i mean it doesn't matter where you go you're going through a cedar swamp you need to get a bridge through this and so yeah pressure treated you know not our friend that trail burn them down got a couple thousand feet of bridging out there and to speak on the volunteer aspect you know we do work with a lot of the local um, whether it's you know burke mountain academy or St. Johnsbury Academy or Linden Institute, any of the local high schools and everything. We, a lot of those students come in, um, either for volunteer projects through various classes. We've got, you know, one, the, the, there's a field semester and a mountain bike group at the St. Johnsbury Academy. They come and help out every late fall. And the past three years, I've had them help redo a lot of the footers on the Burnham Down Trail. Like, so when we built that trail out, to try and save on time and 
cost and all that, we just cut whatever we could for, for log footers out there. And we didn't care if it was, you know, a minorly already rotten piece of ash or if it was a, you know, a white pine or if we were lucky to have a piece of hemlock or cedar that we could cut and strip and, and lay down, we would. But so we just laid a bunch of log footers out. And then, you know, put the two by eight PT across for your stringers and then decked it with, with regular old PT decking. And so we brought the academy students in to help, um, replace all those footers with, with four by fours, pressure treated four by fours, just to, cause all those log footers were starting to rot out and create those bent, those bridges to kilter one way or the other. And, and so we brought them in, we'd go out, we'd get all the, I'd, measure out how many four by fours I needed and go and get the material and get it all bucked up and leave it at the trailhead and then get the academy students. They'd bring them into each section. I'd flag off each section that we needed new footers at. They'd drop them down and then they'd break the bridge down to a point like where two stringers come together. So you could break that bridge apart, pull up the pieces of decking, haul that log out, put the new footers down and replace. You know, in this past fall, we've almost think we're just about done whatever little bit of footers are left you know the kt crew can handle but i think probably the next project now will be to go and rather than redeck the entire you know 2000 plus feet of decking out there i was talking with some of my guys who helped you know coordinate and and uh, oversee a lot of those students i think we're just going to flip all those pieces of decking right over because the underneath of all that pressure treated is still pretty much brand new and just buy some more life out of the bridging that way, as opposed to, you know, taking all that off. And then you've got all these three foot pieces of decking that you're either going to leave in the woods or try and haul out. And so we'll try and buy some time and eventually they'll get slimy just like the other side did, but anything to buy some time. And it's a teachable moment, not only for us, but for these students too, to kind of see, you know, don't use pressure treated lumber. <laughs> and knowing what you, and this, this is a discussion I've had a lot because especially here, like people travel to another community and they'll see that community built a new bridge and it's really cool looking. And how can we do that here? And I come back and I say, well, it's, it's more maintenance than you actually really know because it's easy when it's new, but it's something that is going to always continually need to be looked after, you know? So I always try to steer people in the direction of let's really look at what we need to do here. You know, can we, can we get through this with rock armoring or some other way, you know? So looking back on this on your guys's end, when you're going to look at, you know, a new trail or even a trail that maybe existed, how often are you looking to try to just eliminate any type of potential bridge aside from crossing something that is really deep? So it makes it, you know, impossible to not use a bridge or like you said, some boggy area, you know, where it's just perpetually wet. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that we're, I mean, I don't try and force a trail in somewhere where you obviously can't get a trail in there without a ton of bridging. Um, you know, speaking back to the soils, we don't have a lot of rocks. So it's not like we can go and pull rocks from here, here, and here, and then, you know, blink, there you go. You've got a nice armored section of trail. There are, there are areas of the network that there are some rocks to use, you know, lower mountain stuff up on the mountain, obviously has a ton of rock work. Um, there's some rock work out in East Haven, everything that has a little bit more, um, rocks in the soil. So yeah, are we like that Burnham down trail that I'm speaking of? I mean, that was a, that was a trail that we were trying to connect basically the village up to the lower part of the mountain and get people off of the mountain road to not have bikes on the road. 
but at that time the um that parcel was was deemed as bear habitat by the state of vermont and so we couldn't just we we had a a, a dry route all forecasted out to use but since it was you know bear habitat they said no you you've got to use you've got to stay right here you've got to use this part of the forest and it wasn't the best part of of the you know it wasn't the best terrain to use and so it was all right we'll get the trail in we'll we'll bridge here here and here and see how it goes and then the next year we're like okay we got to connect this bridge and this bridge and then year after that connect this bridge and this bridge because each spot in between we're just getting pounded out and you know muddy and and was pretty rugged so that's where that the bridges just kept on getting longer and longer because we had to use that one corridor and you know my trails committee and myself said well we're not doing that again like you know even if a land, even if a landowner is gracious and to say, "Hey, come use, my, come use our land," you know, like I've I've visited plenty of spots and we've tried to connect, you know, we've tried to connect into Burke Hollow and trying to connect to West Burke and you know, trying to expand the network. And sometimes you're just going to hit showstoppers environmentally that you you just can't get a trail through there without either doing a ton of permitting to you know to to get through a wetland. And there's obviously huge costs and time associated with that. And then to just to build a trail through some areas, it's just, it's just not cost effective. So yeah, I, I, I try and stay very far away from going through um, huge expanses of terrain that are just not conducive to building a sustainable trail because we don't have all the rock in the world. Getting the rock in there isn't the easiest part either. If you're trying to, you know, kind of bring it in there to harden an area, um, if it's, if it's existing in the, in that location is one thing, but then bringing in the rock is another. And unless it's like a trail that's like, okay, here's a three quarter mile long trail and only three or four sections have some spots that we need to, you know, pop some bridges in or harden or something. That's one thing. But if it's like the whole stretch is just going to be this man made, you know, armored stretch of trail or, you know, thousand foot long bridge section, um, that makes you kind of really have to think about weigh your weigh the pros and cons on that because yeah maintaining bridges has become a you know major part of of making sure that we we have not only a a quality trail system but a safe trail system so um yeah definitely forcing in trails nothing i i i try and avoid that at all cost yeah for sure moving out of off the kingdom trails topic and more into just generally speaking you know kingdom trails is known for being a great trails community I, i don't know if you've been able to travel much, but in your opinion, what, what makes a great trails community, a great trails community? Obviously you need trails, but you know, that could be anything from, you know, restaurants to, you know, lodging, all that stuff. Like what in your mind, maybe there's a place that you've gone to that sticks out in your head as a great trails community outside of your community. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've traveled, um, you know, a fair amount, um, both, both within new England and, you know, a, a few places out West. Oh, I went to the, PTBA conference, and that was in Grand Junction. I'd been to Grand Junction before, but it was just I flew into Grand Junction and then went straight over to to Utah from there. So that was a really cool experience. I've been to a few of those conferences before. The one in Grand Junction was awesome, just because there's you know there, there's there's riding right there in in Grand Junction. There's riding not far off in Fruta, um, and then a little bit farther away you got Moab right there. So um, that was a cool community. But I think, you know, as far as what I've seen here at KT, you know, and, and, and other areas, 
just it's really just the having the support and just having those having those amenities kind of already in place and that's where you know when we first started off we weren't forecasting out like all right we need to have you know this many parking lots and the trailheads need to be here here and here and you don't want to have them in areas where it's like a funky intersection and trying to vo- avoid road riding having your infrastructure in place you know bathrooms parking obviously like quality wayfinding and signage is huge but then just having uh having an assortment of of you know of a variety of styles trails whether it's you know um beginner all the way to expert you know i I've, I've ridden to enough places where big or small i mean generally the the bigger network you are you've got those you know stacked loops where the easy trails are right out your front door and the farther you get the little, little bit more technical they become and challenging and so having having a network that appeals to everybody you know where we see a ton of families and a ton of kids here and that that's going to bring people in i mean if you've got trails that can appeal to a wide array of users and levels of of riding style and riding ability that's what's going to get people in there i mean if it's, if it, you're not you're not going to get the attraction um and the notoriety if it's just all techie riding you know people want to be able to go there and know that they can go and ride with their their five-year-old or ride with, you know, all their, you know, a, a guy's weekend or a girl's weekend and cover some ground and miles and know that they they won't get over their head unless they, you know, they want to. Um, so you've got to definitely have have that full spectrum of of everything from beginner to to expert, everything from old school single track to, you know, fast flow trails, um, mechanized, you know, and then certainly having lift access up on the mountain. Not everyone can have that. Not everybody, not every town has a ski area. But to be able to say that we've got, you know, you know, hundred, over 100 miles of interconnected single track for all ability levels um, and all styles, styles of riding, you know, gravity, cross country, flow doesn't matter that that's that's the perfect recipe right there yeah and to build on your credibility of trails and we didn't even i didn't bring this up in the topics nor did we talk about bringing it up but you've done some pretty long hikes so you're not just a mountain biker like the whole entire appalachian trail yeah yeah yeah. i didn't know you knew that yeah um yeah uh that that um that certainly was something that you know that that speaks to my love of just trails and it doesn't even need to be like the Appalachian trail, which was, yeah, obviously that was an amazing experience. And that I worked for KT for a couple of years, took a summer off, hiked the AT and came right back. And and, and here I am still, um, you know, that, that's a whole linear community. I mean, everybody hiking the AT from Springer mountain to Katahdin, they had one goal and that was to get to Maine. And so the community on the AT was, was pretty amazing. And I think you know, that goes a long way. I mean, I, I like to think that's, that's what kind of makes me a little bit more of a, of a well-rounded, you know, trail builder and, you know, trails director and everything. Cause not only do I, you know, I, I enjoy mountain biking. I, do, I don't have one passion. I like to do a ton of different things. I'm, I got the kind of personality where I can't focus on, I can't eat, live and breathe just mountain biking. I, I need to do other things. Um, so whether it's, you know, yeah, like hiking the AT, I love to hunt and fish. So there's, you know, game trails. I mean, there's trails that aren't even made by man that 
have always appealed to me too. Just walking in the forest and um, whether it's, you know, hunting white tails or, you know, chasing turkeys in the spring or whatever, the forest can tell you a lot just by finding these paths that, that nature is making out there, you know? So a lot of the success that you'll have in the woods as a hunter is being able to identify these, these corridors that the animals themselves are creating and using. So trails have, yeah, been a, been a, a longstanding part in my, my life and just passion of being outdoors. Yeah. And, and to wrap this up, and this may seem like an extremely redundant question, but hopefully it's not. This is something I came up with recently on my drive back from, I, a couple of weeks ago, I was fortunate enough to be able to go to both Pisgah National Forest and then spend some time south of Knoxville. And it was, not only was I fortunate to go, I was fortunate to see some extremely amazing weather for the first week of March. But I thought of this question on my way home from the drive, and, and that is the power of trails. What do you think the power of trails can do for a community? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I think a little bit of what I was speaking to before. It just gives people an outlet. And, and, and kind of speaking to what I had just mentioned in my last take on, on like the AT and, and, and deer trails or whatever it might be, you know, the fact that I, you know, I've, I've, I've ridden snow machine trails. I, I go out on the vast trails. I, you know, I hunt, I fish, I mountain bike, I ski, I snowboard. It doesn't matter how you're using a trail. It's just getting outside, having that outlet to be able to go out and experience nature. And, you know, without a trail, you're, you're just kind of wandering in the woods and heck that's okay too. I mean, I I do that plenty of times, whether it's, whether it's hunting or, or forecasting out new trails, you know, whether it's a, a trail and out and back, you know, A to B or, or a full network you know, having trails that can bring you through like cool, positive control points with views or cool rock outcroppings or, you know, a massive white pine out in the forest somewhere. Um, you know, having, having that ability to, to share that with people, whether you're on a snow machine or hiking on your own two feet or riding a mountain bike or, or, or you know, whatever it is, trails are just, it's just something about them that's uh, that's really special, and and I'm not going to fault anybody for how they want to get outside and how they want to enjoy it and how they want to recreate on the trail. If you're on a motorbike and you're on an ATV or motorized, non-motorized, as long as you're using them in the appropriate spots, <laughs> you know, and you're not taking your quad out on a, you know, on a rail trail where you're not supposed to, or if you're, you know, riding a mountain bike on a section of trail where it's not allowed. Yeah. Having, having trails is, I mean, I couldn't imagine not, not having it. I mean, not only cause I built a career off of it, but it's, uh, that's, that's just what, that's what gets people out there. Nature is, is just too beautiful to, to, to not experience out there. Yeah. Well, I think that, that does a really good job of summing up this whole, this whole interview. So I really appreciate you taking your time to do this and sharing the knowledge you've learned both at kingdom trails and well beyond that on the AT trail and other stuff. I'm sure if you're like me, when you travel, you look at the way people do things and try to see what you can incorporate when you come back home. So I really just appreciate your time in this. Yeah, no, no, so, it, it my, my, my pleasure to talk and, and hope my, my incoherent rambling uh, made sense. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. 
Also, if you are new to the Trail Effect, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you consume your audio content. It will ensure that you have the latest content by Trail Effect and it will help the show as well. Please take the time to leave a rating and review wherever you consume your podcasts. This podcast has been made possible by Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.